Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is March 7th, and we are on the backside of the Daytona Supercross. It's a couple days late. I get it. Uh, just been a little busy, but I did want to really think through the race, think through my thoughts the rest of the way. You know, you hear this, the series starts the Daytona stuff all the time. And I wanted to kind of absorb where I think we're going from here before I got to this podcast. Before we jump into the racing, let's thank the sponsors of this, Pirelli Tires. Of course, they've been on since the very beginning, and they are very excited about the start of the MXGP series in Argentina this weekend. I'm sure they'll be running up front throughout the weekend there. Guts Racing, check out their uh, all-new e-bike seats and seat covers. It's a really exciting step forward for Guts Racing. Plum Creek Funding, they are licensed in California, Colorado, Nevada, Texas, and Florida. And yeah, rates have spiked a little bit, as uh, I kind of thought they would, but that doesn't mean that prices haven't come down. So maybe you're a you know, cash buyer, but you still need a, a real estate agent, a broker. You still need some great advice on the process, the closing process, all those things. So uh, reach out to Plum Creek Funding and ask for Zach Morris. Fast Foundry, small business, big business, virtual event, real life event, uh, accounting, whatever your business need may be, you can count on Fast Foundry to give you the right advice in the right direction. Reach out to Robert Carrico and the crew at Fast Foundry and see how they can help your business today. Works Connection, promo code JT23. They have those brand new Yamaha foot peg mounts. They have the Pro Launch Start device, which continue to rip hole shots week in and week out. Factory Honda, uh, Star, Monster Star Yamaha uses it. Basically all the guys that are at the front, right? That's, that's not a coincidence. I keep telling you guys this. So use that promo code JT23 and save yourself some money. International Vet MX Series, and I made a mistake, I think, a week or two ago. I said that they had uh, vintage bikes there. It's, it's not vintage bikes. It's vintage riders, right? They cater to the 30-plus crowd, uh, lots of track time, usually like live music at the races, lots of motos, and just a, you know, a lot of like-minded people that are there to enjoy some good racing. First event is coming up at Sandy Valley, and that's, that's a track I've actually been to in Nevada, and that's on April 1st, so we're a few short weeks away from that. So check out International Vet MX Series, and their website is oldtimersmx.com, so check those guys out. TL Speed Shop, again, I mentioned last week, uh, a couple of listeners had gone down and gone on a trip with TL Speed Shop. If you don't know anything about this, they run side-by-sides and go on all sorts of cool adventures. You can go to Baja, you can go on Sedona wine tasting tour, you can go what across the desert basically, right? You fly in, they provide all the equipment, they provide the destination. And what I like the most, I think this is what would be what I would want to do is kind of come up with something unique. Um, depending on your time frame, 
I know they have a, a laundry list of options for you, but you can really custom tailor it to what you want. And uh, they have these, you know, these side-by-sides that are 30, 40, 50 grand that you don't need to have any investment like that. You can fly in, it could be in a corporate event, it could be a vacation, it could be you and your buddies getting away on a bachelor party, right? The, uh, the options are endless and uh, it's just a really, really cool program and it's all about fun. So thank you to uh, Jason Cobb and TL Speed Shop. It's actually his birthday today. So happy birthday, Jason. Grantstone Boots, wanna thank them. I wore my brand new sneakers and if you don't know about these new sneakers, check them out. Go to grantstoneshoes.com and see they're all new sneakers. There's uh, four different colors. Um, I had the, I don't remember the exact name of the color, but they're like a tan color. And uh, man, they look awesome with blue jeans. So um, if boots aren't your thing, now you can still support the Industry Seating Podcast and Grant Stone Boots with their all new sneakers. So check those out. And of course, Pro Glow Wash. Why buy a wash that's not formulated for power sports? That makes no sense when you can buy something as awesome as Pro Glow Wash. So check those guys out. Ryan Humphrey and the team down in Shreveport, Louisiana, just have a great product and uh, very much power sports enthusiasts. Got to hang out with them a little bit in Dallas, and it's always good to see Ryan and those guys. Last but not least, Fly Racing, and I'm actually working from home, so I didn't go to the office today, but um, yeah, I mean, Fly Racing has been a big part of my life for over a decade now, as all of you know, and uh, looking forward to many more years there. Okay, so thanks for your patience working through the sponsors. Let's talk about a little bit about racing, shall we? And Daytona is always kind of a unique one. Um, as we know, it's a different track. It's, you know, I, it used to be really long. It's not longer anymore. Just the lap times are much longer. So to me, the race feels long because the track is just brutal. You know, it takes a lot out of you. It asks a lot out of the riders. And I just always remember leaving the track at Daytona being pretty worn out. And, and yes, of course, it used to be longer races. So that makes sense. But I just think this track takes a physical toll more so than uh, most of the tracks on the series do. So for the riders this weekend, I think that would probably be, be fair. Uh, I got to walk the track in the afternoon and then I got to walk it after the race. And it was really tough. Um, you know, Ricky had brought in a lot of sand compared to previous years. So that sand breaks down. It gets really ruddy. It's hard to see, too. I always struggled with that. You know, you, don't, you have these lights that are really far away that are meant to light the speedway. Well, now they're asked to light this black dirt that is shadowed over. And it just, there's not a lot of contrast between, you know, the black of night and then the black dirt. So that was always a struggle for me. Um, and I'm sure, you know, it's not too much different for everybody else, but there was a ton of that sand on the track this year. So really tough racetrack, lots of mistakes, lots of crashes as we saw. And that's to me, a direct result of, that dirt and the way it was deteriorating throughout the main events. Now on the 250 main, we did see crashes. Like I mentioned, you know, Nate Thrasher has a big one after he is uh, assisted to the ground by Hunter Lawrence right off the start. And this was a topic on several shows. I'm sure it was a hot bench racing topic for, for everybody is the pass by Hunter. You know, is it dirty? Is it not dirty? Wise or unwise uh, is Nate Thrasher to blame at all. Um, yeah, everybody's going to have a different opinion on that. But my take is this, you know, Nate is in second and he sees an opportunity to go past Tom Vial. Well, he knows that Tom Vial is not going to be the contender to win in this event. In my opinion, I think that's how Nate looks at that. So he wants to get by him as quickly as humanly possible and try to gap everybody. And he doesn't know that Hunter Lawrence is second or third at that point. He just wants to get to the front. So 
when he sees Tom Vial hop to the inside in the sand, the natural reaction is just to hop to the outside. You don't want to follow through that sand because you can't see. You're going to get your goggles sprayed with sand on the first lap. And also you are preventing yourself from making a pass. Just, you know, common sense. If, if you follow through that inside sand berm, there's no way you're, you can make a pass. So I think Nate's move to go to the outside was fine. It, it was the prudent move. Now, what he didn't realize was that Hunter Lawrence got a really good run in the turn before and pretty much went for the jugular. Now, it wasn't one of the dirtiest passes I've ever seen or anything like that. That's certainly not the comment I'm trying to make. But Hunter went in there knowing full well what he was going to do. And I don't think he went in there hoping to knock him down. But he certainly went in there hoping to make a block pass. There, there's no other way to get around that. And I've had people push back and say that, you know, Nate turned down and it's his fault and all that, whatever. Like, I'm not going to argue with you because this is what I know. Like, this is all I've ever done. I, I've been around this sport my entire life. I raced at this level for 16 years and I've been right up against it, talking about it, watching it from, you know, as close as you can get for another 10. To think that that crash was Nate Thrasher's fault is silly. Now, did he turn down a little bit? Yes, but he was trying not to go over the top of the berm, and he also didn't know Hunter was there. To blame Nate Thrasher there is just silly. Um, you could blame it as a racing incident. I'm totally fine with that. You know, most of the blame goes on Hunter. I'm not condemning Hunter for the move. I've, you know, it wasn't quote unquote dirty in my opinion, but it is another of these moves that Hunter is making where he's being really aggressive, and they have worked for him. Don't get me wrong. Pretty much every time he's gone for this move since the Motocross of Nations, it's worked. Now you could say you could say that the Motocross of Nations one really hurt, and I would probably agree with you because he went for the takeout on Justin Cooper and it backfired in a big way. I cheered it. I was very excited that Hunter went down. Not so much that he went down, that probably sounds bad. But when you try to take out the the American rider and you screw yourself, for lack of a better lack of better uh, terminology there. I'm good with that. I'm, I'm happy to see you um, go down or go off the track. So it's been working for Hunter. Now, is it going to continue to work? Is Nate Thrasher going to go for some sort of retaliation now that he needs to really press the issue? Maybe, maybe, right? And that's the risk. If you continue to do this and you trigger all these other guys to kind of go for broke, you're asking for something to, you know, possibly be paid back. And we'll just have to see. Time will tell if that happens or not. So I don't love these type of moves. Anybody who's kind of followed my work and, and my comments over the years, you know that. I don't think that there is enough upside and I think there's a ton of downside to being uberly aggressive in, in these types of situations. I think you always run the risk of yourself crashing. Uh, you know, you can get tied up, you can get tangled up, you can break parts on your bike from heavy contact. And, you know, the best possible scenario is that you make a pass and that rider either crashes or just gets held up. That's like the best possible thing. And in the best possible scenario, guess what? Now you got a target on your back. So to me, it's just too much downside and not enough upside. Um, but I have to admit that it's been working so far. Hunter's been absolutely ruthless with his passing technique and it has been working. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that plays out over the next few races. Max Anstey, uh, you know, I would say quiet, but effective, really. You know, he's been on the podium several times this year. He kept Hunter honest in that main event. You know, it wasn't 
through a lot of fanfare. There, it wasn't flashy or anything like that, but he's, he's getting it done, man. When you're racking up consistent podiums, I don't care if, you know, if you're weeding laps or hole shotting or not, it's irrelevant to me. The results do all the talking. Well, I shouldn't say that because Max does all the talking. Uh, I would say he's the best interview in the sport right now. He's very honest. Uh, he's well-spoken. You know, his British accent isn't hurting anything. He's got his uh, son up there who's adorable. Um, there's, there's a lot to like there. And uh, so, yeah, I think Max brings a lot to this 250 class. He's a veteran. He's been around for a very long time, but he is absolutely performing. And uh, it's cool to see a resurgence for Max Anstey, even if it's in the 250 class. He's, he's still doing really well. Now, one of the biggest stories of the weekend, and he didn't win or anything, but he did get his first ever podium, was Hayden Deegan. And if you, like me, were unsure of what Hayden Deegan was going to do or was going to be, I think we are getting our questions answered pretty quickly. Because I didn't follow him that closely. No, okay, casually, yes, watching him at Minio's and things like that. I was there. I saw him. He looked really good. But you don't know what to compare to because he's racing amateurs, you know, and he's not racing against Hunter Lawrence and Jeremy Martin and these guys. So I was really going with a wait and see type approach. Just let's be patient. Let's let him develop, see how this thing goes. He looks a little sketchy. Had to say that he did look sketchy at Houston, but I'm kind of coming around and, and I, I don't think that's really stepping out or taking a lot of risks to say I'm coming around with a podium and, a, and fourth place finishes already. But I really like what I'm seeing. You know, he doesn't look like the moment's too big for him. He's passing guys like Jeremy Martin at Daytona, which says a lot. I mean, Jeremy Martin has six podiums at Daytona plus a podium on a 450. To pass him and be able to pull away is saying something in itself. Uh, he was able to actually pull away from Jordan Smith as well. So great job by Hayden D, man. He deserves a ton of credit for being this good this early. And the future looks awfully bright. And that's on every front. Uh, social media, his racing, his marketing. Um, he he kind of has the, the whole package here. And you know Feld is just salivating at this thing. And they should. They have a rising star right alongside Jet Lawrence, right? He's a couple years behind him. But they have this wave of talent that is coming up and, and really can lead this sport for the next decade. So that, that's exciting. I, know, I can guarantee you that Feld is very, very happy about that development. Thrasher, I kind of mentioned, uh, I mean, he's so fast. If you watch him ride practice, you think he's going to win every race. I'm just telling you that. I, I don't know how many of you out there get to go to these races, but I do, as we know. And I watch him in time qualifying, and I'm like, he's going to win. Like, and then I look at Hunter's time, and I'm like, how was Hunter faster? I don't even understand how he was faster, but he is. So, you know, Nate's riding really well. We know he's got a torn ACL. Um, but it's it's very visually impressive watching him ride. And I know that doesn't – you don't get points or money or anything for, for, being, for being visually impressive. But trust me when I tell you, you watch him ride and you're, you're kind of – you have to take a step back and go, dude, why is this guy not winning every race? Um, but that just – I guess that goes to, to show how well Hunter's riding too. Jordan Smith, and I wrote in my notes that Jordan is Jordan. You know, this is what he does. He makes mistakes. He goes really fast. We saw him run up front, um, you know, most of the day and in a heat race. And then, yeah, just mistakes. And he just can't stay clean enough in these main events to get it done. And he's doing well. You know, I think he got, what, second overall at Arlington the week before. 
but there's just so much noise in his racing crashes and bad starts and then good starts and mistakes. And it's just all over the map. And this is what Jordan does. This is who he is. And to expect anything else is probably setting yourself up for disappointment. That doesn't mean he can't win a race or, or multiple races. I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you're going to get this roller coaster ride when you hit your wagon to Jordan Smith. The last rider I have a note on here is Chance Hymas, and he is done until the, the opening round at uh, Fox Raceway late in late May. So he's going to go back, uh, really put his head down, start training for outdoors, testing, uh, and try to come out swinging when, uh, yeah, when that pro motocross series kicks off. I'm not really sure why. I don't know if they just wanted him to get a taste of this Supercross series and really give him an opportunity to prepare for motocross or if it was a staffing thing, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, maybe I should do my homework and ask Lars Lindstrom exactly why this plan is uh, it's happening, but this is what's going on. Um, he is now done for the next two and a half months and uh, maybe it works out. Maybe he really gets a jump start on the motocross series and can come out and, and be a solid top 10 guy week in and week out. Now for this 450 class, what we do is we have our power rankings. We talk about the top 10, and this is a fluid subject, right? I like to work in timely finishes. I like to work in big picture trends, right? If a guy's improving week to week, that carries a lot of weight. I also think about like last year, incorporating this year, right? It, if they won the championship last year or were like second in the championship, like Chase Sexton, and then this year, it's like a tie, I'm going to give him the nod because it's a, more of a big picture thing. So there are a lot of uh, ways I try to weigh this power rankings. But in the end, it's just, it's my opinion. You know, there's not a point system. There's no technical scale that I use or anything. It's just how I feel uh, about where they should be placed. So without further ado, number 10 is Joey Savacci. And I should have probably pulled him out because I think he's done. Uh, I thought he was going to continue on. I thought he was going to race more rounds for Rick Ware Racing or someone else. But it sounds like he's pulling out of the series, which is a huge bummer, huge blow to him and the series um, just to have one less talented guy out there. But uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll pull him out next week. If he doesn't return for Indy, then I'll pull him out. But at t I, I felt like he deserved after the season he had had up to this point. I felt like he deserved to uh, to stay in there at 10. Number nine is Justin Cooper, and the same thing. He's now done, too. So uh, look for some big changes after Indy inside the top ten. But Justin Cooper's been great. You know, he had his best finish of the series at Daytona. I thought it was a really strong performance. Like, he moved forward. Um, he looked the part. So I don't know what this means for him in 2024. You know, there's so many pieces that have to be placed into this puzzle as far as riders and teams for 24. He's not at the top of the list. So that means he's going to have to wait. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to see where people go and who retires and who stays and who moves around. And then when you get your chance, then you strike. And uh, I just think he's going to have to be patient and wait for his turn. Because guys like Webb and Sexton and Tomac and Anderson, and all they go first. That's just how this works. Until those guys get signed, the second tier guys, and I'm not trying, that's not a, derogatory term it's just the way it is we'll have to wait until those guys get signed because no team is going to lock up their budget with those guys still on the table because what happens right if, if you go out and you're 
if you are Cowie or you're a large lunch from a Honda or whoever, Ian Harrison and Roger at, at KTM, and you make a move early and you go with a guy that maybe is not number one on your list, but it's a good guy and you have a chance to sign him. So you sign him and then a deal falls through somewhere else, like a big deal, like Sexton backs out of his KTM deal or Jason Anderson doesn't sign again with Cowie or Eli Tomac has a huge blow up with Yamaha. It's not going to happen, but just, you know, for, uh, just for a little bit of storytelling, like something unpredicted goes on and you have a chance to sign that guy, but guess what? You just locked up a, a ton of your budget with someone else. And now you can't even make a run at them because you don't have the budget left to do it. So that's the fear with a lot of these guys is they, no one wants to make a move until the, the top pieces are taken off the table. Once those guys get locked up, then it kind of becomes a free-for-all and you'll see a lot of things happen really quickly. Um, but it's kind of like this hurry up and wait scenario where nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. Then a couple guys sign and then it's just all the dominoes start falling uh, because everybody has their, you know, basically their big whiteboard, like in their war room of who they want, who, who are the options and a lot of if then scenarios, right? If this guy signs there, then what do we do? If this happens, then what do we do? Um, and that's, I do a lot of that myself. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of good planning that can come from that is having a lot of contingency plans. And that's what these teams do uh, as well, in my opinion. So number eight is Christian Craig and uh, a decent ride. You know, the, the toughest part of the weekend for Christian was that RJ was so good. You know, he, Christian was expected to be, I don't know, top six, seven guy, maybe battle for some podiums. And then you see RJ go out and win the heat and get an eighth in his first race. That's a tough pill to swallow for Christian. And I'm a Christian fan. He is beautiful to watch ride. His form is just so incredible. And uh, he's a family guy. He's a really nice person. Um, so I cheer for Christian, but that had to be tough to watch RJ do so well in his first race out. Number seven is Ken Roxon and kind of a quiet main event, right? I don't even remember seeing him all that much. Uh, you know, the heat race was really good. He gave Eli Tomac all he wanted in that heat race. But in the main event, you know, not a great start and then just kind of was out there. Wasn't terrible. It wasn't uh, Oakland where he gets 11th, but it wasn't the kind of ride that's going to give you a ton of confidence for where Ken Roxon goes with the rest of his season. So I know a lot of people were excited about what Kenny could do at Daytona. He's been good there in the past, uh, coming off of a pretty decent Arlington, but uh, it wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be, man. He's, he's just so, so on some of these weekends and that's not terrible. I, I'm not trying to take shots at Kenny at all. I just know what Kenny's capable of. You know, he's one of the most talented riders on this planet, bar none. So to see him kind of riding around uh, is not that inspiring. Number six, I have Aaron Plessinger, and he had a pretty good race. Um, I struggled with where to put him here. He's probably further back than he should be uh, because he's had a pretty good season, and he's one of these contract guys that is really up in the air. If you told me he ended up at KTM again, I'd be like, okay. If you told me he ended up back at uh, Monster Yamaha Star Racing, I'd be like, okay. If you told me he ended up at Honda or anywhere, you know, I would be like, all right, yeah, I can see that because there are going to be so many chess pieces moved around the board. Uh, and I think he's pretty appealing. He has this unique personality. He's capable of getting podiums. And I think he's really likable, um, which are all great things if you are, you know, a prospective factory rider. Number five would be Justin Barsha. And <laughs> 
Barsha was in all kinds of drama and it wasn't his doing for once, right? He was not the aggressor in these uh, the Sexton incidents. I don't blame Sexton so much. I don't think Sexton really meant to have all these things go on, even though he did move over on Barsha. That, that's not great. I don't love that move at all. Um, but I'm kind of giving Sexton the benefit of the doubt because I don't see him ride like that very often. Uh, but typically when you're talking about Barsha and drama, he's the one that's the aggressor. He's the one that's creating the drama, but not this time. This was, uh, this was on Sexton. So Barsha shoulda, coulda, woulda been in that podium fight, uh, but he still rode really well. He was there all day. Every time he was out on the track, whether it was qualifying or racing, he was near the front. Um, so you could tell he was confident. He, you know, you can, you can gain a lot of insight by how guys attack qualifying practice. Like if they want to get to the front, they're confident. Like they, they think the bike's set up, they are feeling good. If you see guys cruising around and then they finally get going, that's usually a little bit of a, a look inside where their head's at. Not always. Some guys, that's their MO. That was my MO. I didn't like to take off. I like to go see the track a little bit, figure the lines out, and then start going for it. Um, so that was more my approach. But, you, you know, a lot of these guys, you know what they like to do. And if it's something out of that norm, then I think you can really gain some insight. So maybe that's a better way of looking at it is that if it's different from their usual, then you can, I think, uh, maybe take something away from that. Number four, Jason Anderson, and just kind of a blah day and night. Nothing really to write home about. He was never really near the front. He didn't ride poorly, but his starts weren't great and the results weren't great. So he's one of these guys that I think Callie will keep him, but I'm much less sure of that than I was, say, two months ago. You know, I thought he was a lock, like absolute no chance he was going anywhere else. But I don't know. I don't know now. You know, I think Callie, if they got some amazing opportunity, I could see them jumping on it. I don't think that's going to happen, but I could see it. I could see it. Um, Jason, to his credit, is one of the only guys in this class that I, built, I believe can win. So that's a feather in his cap, and that's a reason that Cowie would want to keep him, is uh, they may not have another opportunity at a rider that can win in the 450 class. So we'll see how that plays out. Chase Sexton is at three, and, I mean, he deserves to be at three. You know, he's – uh capable of winning we all know that he is in my opinion the fastest quote-unquote fastest rider in this class but it takes more than just raw speed to win especially when you're dealing with guys with the poise and the experience of cooper webb and eli tomac you can't just put in a couple heaters and expect that to be good enough you got to be able to hold it together mentally you've got to be able to set your bike up you have to have every piece of the equation just exactly dialed in the way this series is. That's not always the case. You don't have to be always be perfect. You know, championships have been won with all kinds of mistakes in them, but I don't think this year you can get that done. You're going to have to be excellent. You're going to have to really, really do it. You know, and, and for Sexton, that means winning a bunch of races down the stretch. I don't think you can win this championship any other way if you're Chase Sexton. So the good news is, is he's very capable of that. He could get on a run and win four races in a row. And I'm not going to say I wouldn't bat an eye because that, that would be awesome, but he's capable. And, and I can't say that about really anybody else other than Weber or Tomac. There's no one else in this class where if they won four races in a row that I wouldn't be just in disbelief, the way, just the way this field is, right? Uh, number two, no surprises, Cooper Webb. 
and he almost got it done. He almost got his first Daytona win and almost kept Tomac from winning his seventh Daytona. Uh, but yeah, almost is only uh, good in horseshoes and hand grenades. So um, still a really good ride, but uh, yeah, he's, he's going to have to close those deals. And, and typically Webb is the best closer in the game. So I think for Tomac, you saw a lot of excitement and emotion on the podium because he knew how big that race was. He, you know, broke records. He, you know, winning seven times at Daytona is just insane. But I think he also knew the mental kind of volley that he sent over Webb's way to, to win that race. And because Webb wanted to win bad. Webb was vocal about the fact that if he could take Daytona away from Tomac with the messaging that would send. And so vice versa with Tomac, right? If you know somebody is dead set on taking away your coveted, you know, your, your best race of the year, you have to return serve. Like you have to let them know that you're not going to stand for it. Like, sorry, bro, not on my watch. This is Daytona and you don't get to win here. This is my place. Um, so, you know, that, I thought that was a really big deal, like the race within a race type stuff. You know, we're all watching the race on the track, but the mental battle between those two is a huge deal. Um, if Webb had won, I think it would have been a long week for Tomac. He would have to sit and stew on that that loss at Daytona and Webb winning his first one ever. That would uh, that would have been a big deal. You know, I'll just leave it there. Number one, of course, is your defending champion. He is your points leader. He is Eli Tomac. Seven wins. He ties Richard Petty for the most Daytona wins of any sort. And, uh, man, he's, he's rapidly climbing up the record books here. That's 49 wins, one more to tie James Stewart. And what more accolades do you want? You know, that doesn't mean he's going to win the title this year. It's still really tight. Uh, but he is climbing up the list of all-time greats as we go. Um, I don't know where to put him. Uh, that's a hotly debated topic in the industry right now is, you know, wh- where does he line up with the McGraths and Stewarts and Carmichaels and all these guys? I don't know. Uh, I'm having to constantly reassess with every win. You know, if he goes up and passes Stewart and gets to 51, wins the title this year, you just start to start going, okay, what does this all mean? Like, how does this affect everything we thought we knew about his placement? So that's going to be a really interesting topic to watch develop because it doesn't seem like he's done yet. You know, he has been racing a long time, so that's one difference, right? He's His accumulation of races is a part of the, the conversation, but the sheer amount of winning uh, has to, has to come into play at some point. The honorable mentions for this week are Dean Wilson. Um, he's just kind of hanging in there. Not terrible, not battling for top fives either. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's been riding really well and he's stayed consistent. And then Justin Hill, who has been surprising. I, I did not have Justin Hill doing this well this year. I give him a lot of credit. He looks like he's in shape. His speed is good. I mean, after two years away from racing, um, I have nothing but uh, nothing but a lot of appreciation for what Justin Hill has done this season. So that's it for this week. Short but sweet. Again, thank you to Pirelli. Thank you to Plum Creek Funding. Thank you to Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, TL Speed Shop, the International Vet MX Series, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. And India is up next. It's going to be a cold one. I think there, we're going to be about 30 degrees all day on Saturday. So yippee, can't wait. Um, but we will talk to you next weekend. Thanks everybody for listening. It does not go unnoticed. And one thing I was going to mention too, I do a uh, Patreon podcast 
every Saturday morning. If you want to check that out, it's patreon.com slash industry seating. You are welcome there. It's kind of a preview of the race every Saturday morning. So check that out and we'll talk to you in a week. See you.